Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops, a podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference. And everybody, it's Arch Madness. It's here. It's March 1st. Get excited. I'm Paul Oren, your host, NWI Oren on Twitter, and I am going to guide you through the next week as I head on down to St. Louis. I'll have some great content throughout the week. Obviously, we'll be podcasting every day in St. Louis, just like I did last year. I don't think I'll have Carl Berner with me, but uh, and I, I certainly won't be doing it from the Amtrak. I'm driving down on Wednesday. I'm going to be there for the whole tournament in theory. We'll see kind of how things shake out. Valpo's going to play Friday night. Going to preview that game in a little bit here with Wyatt Wheeler, the beat reporter from the Springfield News Leader in Missouri. And Wyatt is a, is a great friend of the podcast and, and someone who I really enjoy, despite his love of the Chicago Bears. And uh, we, I don't think we recorded that part, but we had a good talk about the Packers and Bears for a little bit. So thrilled to have Wyatt on later on, and, uh, and, and, and we'll dive into that here in just a second or two. Uh, look, if you've been following me the last couple of weeks, you know that I've been getting into the mascot issue. I'm going to try to tie a bow around that uh, at the end of the podcast today. Scott O'Kander, the former head of the Integrated Marketing and Communication team at Valparaiso University, is going to come on the podcast a little bit later on. He was the one in charge of Valpo's rebrand in 2011 when they changed the mascot, not the name, but they changed the actual mascot from kind of that cartoon character to what you see today with the shield of character was the name of, of what they did. And, uh, and Scott's going to talk a lot about going deep into the crusader in 2011 in 2010, 2011, and whether or not it was appropriate to change the name then, and maybe what Valpo might be thinking right now. Um, you know, it was interesting. I, I actually, I, I'm, I'm guessing that going that far back might not be popular with some people, but uh, you know, I thought it was important to reach out to somebody who had who had knowledge of the inner workings of how all this shook out. And granted, some of the knowledge is 10 years old, but I think Scott's going to bring a really, really interesting take on this whole concept. And then, quite frankly, I think after that, I think I'm done. You know, until we get to the point where there are some choices to be made for what the mascot's going to be. You know, I... Um, I, if, if you'll allow me for a second, look, I think people here know I'm as I'm, I'm pretty connected to this area now, despite being from Wisconsin. Um, I've lived in Valpo for uh, 16 years, really 19 of the last 22 years. Um, I went to Valpo. I, I teach. I, uh, I, you know, it's, it's an important place. It was an important place to me when I was growing up and, uh, and my family, we would come visit here and everything like that. Right. So like, I'm probably more invested in this than like the average beat reporter who rolls into town. Look, we've had some great beat reporters in town that have covered Valpo for a little bit, and then they've moved on to other things and that's fine. So I, I, I think when I talk, I hope that people understand that, that there's a bit of a connection that comes with it, right? Like, it, I'm not just saying things to say things. And so I, I say all that to, to, to basically, I don't just try to choose my words very carefully here. I say all that to say this. I understand that this is passionate for people, this topic, this concept. And I understand that people felt 
like I, I, one person I talked to said they felt like a member of their family died when they took away the Crusader. And look, I never, I never played for the Crusaders. Let's be clear about that. I always said that uh, that the, the former women's basketball coach and I, Keith Freeman, I always said I was I love kind of talking to Keith Freeman. We were friends, but I never had to get back on defense for Keith, meaning that like I never had to like play for him. And so that that made it real easy to to be liked, I guess. My 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 point here is that um I and, and I'm really gonna jump off the pier on this one. So so bear with me, because again, we've got a good podcast coming. We're in the middle of a global pandemic right now. And I, I'm I'm reading all of these year later tweets and stories, and it's just oh, it's gutting. It's gutting. Five hundred thousand people have died. Whether whether you believe this is real or it was fake or what, not fake, but whatever, you know, like it happened. Our lives have been flipped upside down in the last year. We're tired. We're frustrated. We're angry. I want to go to the bar and take five shots of something like uh, what all of that, right? I don't care about the name being changed. There is so much else in the world that is a problem right now that I feel like an asshole if I'm going to sit here and be like, oh, I'm upset about a name being changed. And it's I, I get it, right? I do. But like, it just doesn't matter to me. And maybe, and, and, and I'm telling you, a lot of things about Valpo do matter to me. So I, I, I hope you see what I'm saying. It's just like, you know, I haven't seen, I've seen my family like once in the last year. That matters to me. That's something to be upset about. That's something that I am putting my time, energy, and effort into thinking about. Not the name of a team. That's just my thought, right? Now, that said, that's why I did the article with the five choices that that we came up with. The Shield and the Colonels and the Dunehawks and the Koalas and the Golden Knights. And, and, and the Koalas I put in there for the simple fact that if you thought I was being serious, I hope that one kind of put you over the edge. Look, I was just all of the anger and the frustration and all of that stuff all around it. And I get, again, I can't tell you not to be upset by it, right? I can't. If you are, you are, and I'm. I'm. I respect that. I just, I just don't care, and so I wanted to move on. I wanted to have some fun with it, and I can't. I, you know, in the last year, I've written so many COVID stories that are just depressed the hell out of me, and stories about people's seasons being canceled and athletes being, you know, hurt and blah blah blah, and it's just tough. You know, I talk to kids from Munster when the girls basketball season when they got knocked out of the playoffs because of COVID. All of these stories have been awful. This one was fun. Worked with the page designer to design logos. Oh man, it was fun. We did some research, went back in, in time. It was awesome. I loved it. It was it was just so much fun. If you haven't seen it yet, go to nwi.com, search the Crusader mascot, weed through the people.com and CNN stories, get to nwi.com, read my story on the five mascots, and uh, it was great. My favorite criticism of that story was I went to Facebook and read the comments, which is what you're never supposed to do. And, um, you know, I don't write columns for the Times, like ever. I'm not a columnist. I would love to be. I think it's great. I love having fun. That's why I do the podcast, because I can I can have fun with this. Um, but in columns, 
what they do is they upload your photograph as like the headshot that that goes in the uh, the story, and so online, you, the the picture of the person who wrote it is always going to be in the gallery of the thing, and um, and <laughs> that's just kind of how it works, and uh, and so if you click on the story, the first thing you'll see is my picture because the, it was a column. And we put pictures in columns because we want to let people know that it's the opinion of the writer, not a statement by the newspaper or whatever. It's just inside baseball journalism. And someone on Facebook wrote, uh, I must be pretty full of myself to make sure that a photograph of me is the first thing you see. You know what? Yes, I am. You know what? Make me be the mascot. The fighting Orans from Norway, let them let, let that be the mascot. And I, I'm, I'm on board with it, you know? Um you know, you can't spell koala without an O that's at the beginning of my last name. So let's just do it, right? That's exactly why my picture was there. I just, I read that comment. There was like 50 comments on the story or whatever. I read that one. I just turned my computer off. Just got up and walked away. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. Come on. Like, I, no, I did not upload my photograph and place it there. That was done by my editor because it was a column. That's how it works. Anyways, <laughs> I, I preached there. I'm sorry. Uh, it's one o'clock in the morning. I'm recording this right now. Scott O'Kander is going to be on in a little bit, and uh, it's going to be a blast. And and I think you'll enjoy what Scott has to say. And he talks a lot about the Crusader and and and, and things like that. There's some just great, interesting, interesting stuff there. Okay, uh, let's do a first kind of quick hot take on on Arch Madness. Valpo's going to play Missouri State. They haven't played them since the f- conference openers, January 9th and 10th. Now Missouri State. I think it played like a couple games already at that point. Although Missouri State got a much later start to the season than uh, than anybody else did, they only played twenty two games this year. Um, they were f- they played four non conference games and then they played their uh, their eighteen conference games. Uh, Valpo played twenty seven, which is the most that you can play. They got in all their games, I think, because um, they added that to Paul game, which which took the place of some other stuff. So. Um, yeah, the maximum was 27. We saw Bradley played 27, Drake played 27, and uh, a lot of other people played 24, 25 games. And Missouri State at 22, the least amount in the conference. They're really good. Uh, I, I submitted my all-conference ballot. I've got uh, Isaiah Mosley and Gage Prim both on the first team. They're the only team in the uh, in the top, the only only team with two guys in the top five on my ballot. Um, you only voted for one Loyola player, Cameron Crutwig, despite the fact that um, they're the number one team in the league. And, uh, and and quite frankly, the reason why they don't have more is because they're so deep and so talented. Um, you know, there's just a bunch of guys I throw at you. I put Prim second. Roman Penn I put third. Now he's out for the year. That hurts Drake. And then Tank Hemphill I put sixth as the first player on the second team. Um and, and Hemphill is actually a really interesting case because I think he was on his way to being a first-teamer, but he actually only played 11 conference games, so he missed seven games. That's, uh, I, you know, I, I almost felt hesitant about putting him on there, but I just thought he was so good. Um, and, you know, I, I uh, apologies to people from Bradley because I, I remember I like I pulled Elijah Childs last year because of the fact he'd missed so many games, and I had to go back and see how many he actually played last year. Uh, but but Hemphill made the list here. Um, Tyreek Key also have on the first team. He missed the last two games of the regular season against Valpo. He'll be back likely for Arch Madness with a shoulder injury. 
Uh, it's a rough situation at Indiana State right now with Jeff Goodman reporting that Greg Lansing will be out at the end of the year. I had a chance to talk to Todd Golden, the beat reporter for Indiana State over the weekend when he was up here at the Ark covering the games. And and he's, you know, hearing a lot of rumblings as well. And uh, Todd and I are both in agreement that uh, it should be Greg Lansing's choice whether or not he may wa- he may want to go. You know, he, he may he may, his contract is up. He did not want to negotiate during the season, from what I understand. The school didn't want to negotiate during the season, from what I understand. But it's a raw deal, man. He's a good dude, good coach, has not had success in Arch Madness. Uh, that, that That's no question about that. They have had a rough go of it in the conference tournament. Almost feels like uh, Mike McCarthy in NFC Championship games. You know, really good during the regular season. You get into the, the postseason and it just wasn't going well. That being said, Tyreek Key, Jake LaRavia, Trey Williams, I think Indiana State's got what it takes. I mean, they're they're going to beat Evansville and uh and and then they're going to they'll have a, a tough matchup with Loyola in the semifinals if things go according to form. But um I mean, if there's what do you need? You need good guard play and you need a big man who can make some plays and that's Trey Williams who can block some block some shots and be a good defensive presence against Crutwig. And then LaRavia can do a little bit of everything. He can guard all five positions. I really, really like Jake LaRavia's game. I think he could be one of the stars in the Valley next year. I think he's one of the stars in the Valley right now. A matter of fact, have him seventh in my all-conference ballot. Also have Lance Jones on the ballot from Southern Illinois. He's done so great in lieu of uh, Marcus Damask being out. And then Shamar Givens from Evansville, number nine, and DJ Horn from Illinois State, number 10. You know, Givens and Horn, I probably could have taken those guys out. I could have talked myself into, you know, some other players from Loyola or Drake. I could have talked myself into Lucas Williamson. Just he never does anything that's going to do anything stat-wise for you in terms of coming off the page, but he's so good and he's a senior, and he's been doing it for a long time. And this isn't a career achievement award, but but man, give me Lucas Williamson on my team any day of the week in the Missouri Valley Conference. And uh, I think I might have put him on the all-defensive team. Uh, matter of fact, I, I know I did. I, put, I think I voted him defensive player of the year. Um, but he's probably going to split votes with Ugwok, the other guy from Loyola. And uh, man... So really, really hard choices this year on on the ballot. And a lot of that is because I didn't get to see everybody. I didn't get to see half the teams this year because of just the way that the schedule shook out. So that top half of the bracket, Loyola, um, will meet the winner, Bradley, in Southern Illinois. Bradley's in just a rough spot right now with a couple guys out due to suspension. Then Jay Sean Henry got hurt again. And uh, Ville Tanavainen, I think is how you say his name, um, he was out. And then what did Bradley do? They took six scholarship players and a water boy, and they beat Drake in the regular season finale. Biggest win of the year for Bradley. Biggest upset in in, in the conference, I, I would say. And uh, and so Bradley, with like nobody on their team, beats Drake. Now, granted, Drake's down a couple players as well, so um, they they weren't. It wasn't like they were at full strength, like when Valpo beat him. But uh, that win allowed Loyola to get the number one overall seed and slid Drake down to the number two seed, which now Drake is on Valpo's side of the bracket. If Valpo's lucky enough to get by Missouri State, and again, we're going to talk about that game in a second with Wyatt Wheeler, uh, Valpo would, would then play the winner of Drake 
slash Northern Iowa, Illinois State. And Northern Iowa, the preseason favorites, will meet Illinois State in the nightcap on Thursday. And then they'll come right on back and play at 5 o'clock against Drake. Like I said, Indiana State, Evansville, I, I just I think Indiana State's going to win that game. Um, and I'm I'm pulling for Indiana State. Look, I'd love Loyola. I think Loyola's in the NCAA tournament. And if they're not, then, then the system is broken. If 21 and 4 Loyola does not get an at large berth with the number 10 net in the country, what are we doing here? Like it's it's garbage. And I'm not even going to rant about that right now because it's not going to happen. They'll get in. And so I'm a big Indiana State fan on on Saturday in the semifinals if they make it there to play Loyola because I don't think Greg Lansing deserves to get let go, and I want to make it. I, I like chaos. I want it to be as uncomfortable as possible for those people down at Indiana State to have to get rid of their coach after he takes them to the, to the conference title game, or 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 goes to the NCAA. Like, give in, get me Indiana State to the NCAA tournament, get them there in Indianapolis, have them win a game in the first round, and then you have to. Talk to me about why you were going to get rid of your coach. Not talk to me, but talk to somebody about why you were going to get rid of your coach. Or they lose by 25 to Evansville, and then, you know, then there you go. (laughs) Because, again, they have not had great success in the conference tournament. But uh, color me a big Indiana State uh, Sycamores fan this weekend simply because of the fact I I think it's athletic administration malpractice to have that come out that you're going to move on from this guy before the conference tournament starts. Shame on everybody associated with that. On the other side of things, uh, Drake, again, Northern Iowa and Illinois State. Flip a coin there, I think. Northern Iowa, they're dangerous. they got a great coach. There's no question about it. Illinois State's young. They've got, uh, I mean, DJ Horn has been in and I mean, he, he was back in the lineup against Northern Iowa, it was like 34 points or something in the regular season finale that went to double overtime. Uh, they're going to meet again. It should be a great battle. And uh, the winner of that one will get Drake. And that that should, you know, Drake should win. But I, Drake, I mean, who knows? With with Roman Penn being out and Hemphill certainly not going to be 100%, you never really know what you're going to see. And I feel for Drake because they have had the worst injury luck in the last couple of years. I mean, Nick Norton, uh, I think, no, not Nick Norton. Uh, Nick, yeah, Nick Norton. I'm, just, I'm thinking about him and I'm thinking about uh, Nick Nurse, the Raptors head coach that uh, that beat my Milwaukee Bucks a couple of years ago. Uh, Norton, he got hurt. And then uh, DJ Wilkins, I think, got hurt in the conference tournament a couple of years ago. Uh, I think it was last year. I don't remember. Um, but it was tough. Tough deal for Drake. Uh, and, and then obviously Valpo and Missouri State, and um, you know, Valpo interesting road to get there. They they all they had to do was uh, was kind of win uh, win one game against Indiana State, and they missed seventeen straight shots on Friday night, and it looked awful. And then they come on right on back and deliver maybe their best half of the year uh, on Saturday, and uh, up thirty nine eighteen, they push that lead to twenty eight points, and everything looks great. And then it's down to eight points, and then Jacob Ognasevic steps up, and man, talk about a guy who's coming into his own. He and, and, and Zion Morgan, those two, and I'll have Zion on the podcast a little bit later on this week to talk about his journey a bit, 
And uh, man, those two so special. The 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 bench players scored forty nine points on Saturday. That's second unit. A good news, Pagale. What a turnaround! Uh, something happened in the in the game on Friday. I think he drove into the lane. Um, it's like one on three and turn the ball over. And I think Lodic said something to him in good news, I think fired back. And uh, I don't think Lodic liked it. He pulled good news out of the game. And despite the fact that good news is a player who, um, you know, we say this a lot about bench players, they bring energy. He's a guy who's done that. And, and whatever he said, whatever happened, um, it was a non-negotiable for Lodic and, and, and good news sat on the bench for the rest of the game on Friday. And I, you know, th- that's this late in the year season that hasn't gone well. Maybe, maybe you just, you're just done, uh, mentally. And good news came out and played his finest game in a Valpo uniform on Saturday, ripped down 10 rebounds in the first half, finished with a double, double career highs in points and rebounds. And, God, if if he if he can do that every night, and and maybe maybe it's not twelve points and eleven rebounds because because maybe he's not getting that many minutes every night because Donovan Clay's not saddled with four fouls for showing up on the court, but you look at what that second unit did, you tell me that that Valpo team can't do that, like that's what I said at halftime. I think is is Valpo showed in the first half on on Saturday in the regular season finale how good they can be. And if they did that, if they if they match that effort every game, and maybe the shots don't always go in, but if they match that effort every single game, this is a th- number three seed or four seed in the conference this without without question. The problem, and Zion Morgan said this in the post-game interview, if, if you go to valpoathletics.com and watch the, the press conference, he said, our problem is, is we got to figure out how to do that every night. And you're 27 games into the season. You got to figure out how to do that every night. And now Valpo's going to go back to the place where the magic happened, where they where they made the run to get in there. And uh, and I wonder how I wonder what team what Valpo team is going to show up. I mean that's that's become the question. What Valpo team is going to show up? And so, um, 27 games into the season, I still can't answer that one. But we'll find out on Friday. That being said, I think it's time now. I mean, I've talked for a good 20 minutes or so. I want to bring in Wyatt Wheeler, and, and we're going to break down Missouri State a little bit, kind of go deep into Missouri State and talk about them, talk about Mosley, talk about Prim, talk about some of the other guys, uh, talk about the Valley a little bit, uh, be a good talk there. Um, and then uh, then we'll come on right back here. Thrilled to be joined by Wyatt Wheeler, Missouri State beat reporter from the Springfield News Leader. Wyatt, thank you for joining. We made it. Everyone played 18 games. Can you believe this? Yeah, they did a they did a great job at getting them in. Um, just uh, we we all assumed that the full 90 wouldn't happen, but for it to actually happen uh, uh, speaks a lot to the athletes, the coaches, and uh, the league being able to flip around stuff as uh, as needed. So it was uh, it's cool to see that we actually did it. You know, for for me it feels so strange to get to this point because I think back to when Valpo played Missouri state back on, I think was a January 9th and 10th. I think it was, those were Valpo's first two games in the Valley. Now everyone else had played a couple already because Valpo had been shut down over break and then had some stuff with Southern moved around and everything. But I think back, it, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago. It was just two months ago, but it also feels like it was a whole nother lifetime ago. Um, 
before we get into the Valpo Missouri State games, what has this year been like for you covering Missouri State? I didn't see you in Valpo, uh, and you didn't, I mean, you didn't see me anywhere because we've been doing this, Zooming all the time. Yeah, I didn't travel for a single game this year, which is uh, really weird. I'll still be in St. Louis just to be in St. Louis, get out of of town for a few days. But, uh, I mean, the the SID didn't travel with the team or anything. So, I mean, it would have been really, really difficult to try to even get post-game stuff for for Missouri State if I were to be on the road. So, um, just kind of having to adjust, and I mean – Still happen to do high school. I mean, I'm still the one sports reporter in Southwest Missouri at the, the Springfield News Leader. So, I mean, having to cover high school, having to cover a nationally ranked women's basketball program. Um, so just trying to trying to do as much as I can and uh, just seem to be uh, staying around was um, the, be- the best thing for us. Um, and now uh, we add football on top of that with the FCS season starting up. So it's uh, it was crazy. I mean, yesterday, Saturday, uh, final day of the NBC men's regular season, uh, the women's basketball team cut down the nets after winning the regular season championship. And then there was a football game. Um, the first football game of the spring was at noon. So uh I covered all three games yesterday, so which is uh, which is uh, it's pretty nuts. But uh, having to do it for the readers, so it's uh, it's been it's been insane. But uh, whatever, I, I feel like we're getting towards uh, we're getting we're seeing brighter days. So I think so. Happy, happier we're there. We're, I think we're definitely in a place now where uh, the light is at the end of the tunnel. But it's interesting. I, I take us back to. And, I, and I'm not looking forward to reading all these stories or seeing all these stories, but the one year later, and I think Arch Madness was maybe the last time that things were somewhat normal. And, and I go back to that Saturday night in St. Louis um, was maybe the last day of ambivalence that I had to this whole thing. I knew about coronavirus. Valpo and Missouri State played each other. Valpo wins. I went to the ballpark village that night and uh with uh, a couple of members of the Missouri Valley like digital team. And I just remember sitting there like strangers in a booth and someone ordered a plate of nachos and we're all just like picking off nachos from this plate and everything like that. And like, that'll never, like, I don't know when that'll ever happen again. Um, I, I, I don't know. Are you going to the ballpark village? I, I, I don't even know if we should go there. That's probably not <laughs> smart. No, I got some friends in the St. Louis area that I'm excited to see. Um, so, so I think I'll probably go see them just because uh, I, I haven't been out of Springfield in probably a year now. But I do remember, I mean, that was the last thing um, for, for me to get out to was last year's Arch Madness. Um, and I remember after Missouri State lost to Valpo, uh, the reports started coming in that there was a case of covid uh, that was actually confirmed in St. Louis. For yep. the first, and that was like the first one. And it's like, oh, there's one. It's here in St. Louis. The COVID's actually here. And uh, I, I actually drove back after that game just so I could sleep in my own bed. Um, and uh, I just remember the insanity, just like, oh, COVID's here. And it just seemed like the mythical thing that everybody was uh, uh, starting to get scared of. Um, and then, uh, just a few days go by, 
Um, and I'm supposed to go cover the women's basketball tournament in Moline um, because the Lady Bears were expected to win that. It would have been another championship. They were bound to make another NCAA tournament run. And uh, the night before I was going to leave was when Rudy Gobert got uh, got COVID and shut down the NBA um, and shut down the world. And uh, the text from my boss that night was just like, hey, I don't think you should go. And then uh, everything was canceled within the next 48 hours. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, we're at that time where it's uh, it's all just kind of funny to look back and uh, not looking forward to seeing all the one year later stuff. I think it's going to be a little too overwhelming just like hey here's we're gonna do all this look where we've been and that's uh it'll be annoying but (laughs) i I guess they gotta do it it feels like uh, you know normally when like a big thing happens uh you know like katrina one year later like katrina happened it's over we're picking up the pieces this is still going on um you know it's funny that again that last night in st louis i thought that saturday night when valpo beat missouri state and and just like wow okay, I'm going to cover a Valley title game tomorrow. Um, and then I got to get up. Like I take the amp. I, I was taking the Amtrak. I'm yeah. not going to drive to St. Louis and I'm on the Amtrak back. And, uh, and like, I'm joking around with some Illinois state fans like, Hey, might never see you guys again. And we, I mean, we, we're laugh so we don't cry. And, um, and then I I'm on the train and I get an email from Amtrak that says this person that, that confirmed case you're talking about St. Louis yeah. this- taken the Amtrak and uh, yeah it was crazy anyways enough about that because you know let's let's talk about what's at hand Valpo and Missouri State are going to play again Um, and it's obviously a different look than what we saw a year ago in St. Louis and it's a different look than what we saw in January in Valpo Um, update me a little bit if you can because I you know I paid attention to Missouri State those first couple games this was in the middle of Isaiah Mosley's tear through I mean dropping he dropped 29 in back-to-back games against Valpo one of those games he only had three in the set in the first half looked like Valpo was going to do a great job on him and then he exploded uh, a pair of wins for Missouri State I just assume Isaiah Mosley continued to score 29 points in every game since then is that true or not true uh, almost uh, but uh, I mean uh, leading the valley and scoring and uh kind of a big deal for him as a sophomore Dana Ford I mean just from when they recruited him, he was the number one player in Missouri, um, played on that really good Rockbridge team that's kind of uh, that, that people like to talk about. I mean, he played with Jamonte Black in high school, played with Dewan Harris. Dewan Harris was originally committed to MSU, uh, ended up having to leave, and now he's the backup point guard at Kansas. Um, so, I mean, they had, a, they had a really loaded team back then. Um, so, I mean, he, he's, he start, he's been the player that he's been touted to be. Dana Ford said he'll be a top 10 scorer in school history. Um, he's, uh, he, he might be the first player to ever lead at Missouri State to ever lead this league in scoring. So, I mean, um, yeah, he's been, it's been fun to watch him. It's, uh, it's, it's been a great year for him. I fully anticipate that both Isaiah Mosley and Gage Prim will be first team all conference players. Um, not bad for a team that, uh, you know, did, wasn't Loyola or Drake this year. Um, you know, this is also a, a what have you done for me lately kind of deal. And it was a game that didn't matter to Missouri State on Sunday, excuse me, on Saturday. 
but uh, it certainly mattered to other people. And um, and they kind of laid an egg against Evansville and and, and the final game. Um, you think that was a product of? I, I know you had a bunch of games you covered yesterday, so I don't know how closely you really paid attention to it. Do you think that was a product of them just kind of going through the motions in the final game because they're already locked into their seating? Yeah, I think uh, when you look at some of the numbers, I wasn't able to watch it as closely as I wanted to. And from everything I was told, don't go back and watch it because it wasn't that entertaining. Um, But just from hearing what Dana said after the game, just looking at some of the numbers, um, it doesn't look like the ball was moving a lot. They they finished with seven assists on 25 made shots. Um, the, and you hear Dana just saying the ball stuck. Um, and, and I, and you have the consecutive games where Gage Prim just goes off, um, for his, some historic numbers, um, for what he was doing there. Um, and then, and then you just see 21 shots from Isaiah Mosley, uh, not very much for the others, uh, nine for DeMarcus Sharp. And then the next the closest is two. So, I mean, the ball didn't seem to be. Uh, moving too much and I, I I could see them going through the motions they already have the three seed locked up um, they they it, it's the last game of the year I think they wanted to make sure they were healthy even though you see guys like Mosley and uh, Sharp and playing thir- 38 minutes but there are a few guys that you would have liked to see get going a little bit um, and I don't think they got going as much as you wanted to see them in that final series. Jamonte Black and Jared Ritter um, just are huge for them if they're going to have any success uh, at Arch Madness. Uh, just the, the three-point shooting, it was great the night before in the win, uh, eight of 12, and then going one of seven last uh, in the loss to, the second loss to Evansville. So, uh, yeah, I see. I see them going through the motions, um, and, and the little bit I was able to glance over at uh, just didn't seem like the hype was there, the energy was there. So, I, I think a little of that plays into that. A couple interesting numbers to look at in terms of Missouri State. One, it looks like they really play seven guys. You know, yeah. I mean, you can you can go down to Nick Tata a little bit. Tata, Tata, um, Tata, Tata. Okay, oh, I like that. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. So, so I mean, but there were there were there were six guys who played all eighteen conference games, and then Patterson is a guy who, who I think missed one. But I mean, they, so they play seven guys. So that's interesting. Obviously, uh, that's not going to matter as much against Valpo in the first game. But if Missouri State continues to advance, I mean, obviously, depth is going to be an issue. But they could very well get matched up against Drake, who is you know playing only a couple of scholarship guys. Oh yeah. Well. Something else that's interesting that really kind of throws me a little bit about this Missouri State team, because I think they're a very, very good team. In conference play, they turn the ball over 50 times more than their opponents. Uh, I mean, you know, so what is that, an average of maybe uh, three, almost two and a half more a game? Um, and, uh, you know, they, they don't steal the ball as much as their opponents do. Is, is ball handling been an issue with Missouri State, or is that just the fact that they play a little bit more up and down and, and, and take more risks in transition and whatnot? Um, yeah, they do turn, they turn the ball quite over quite a bit. I mean, when you look at Isaiah Mosley, um, just uh, that's kind of one of the things that 
uh, doesn't get really get talked about too much with him. Just uh, he, he had 76 turnovers this year um, and had uh, had some problems. I mean, uh, trying to force some passes. It's not, it's, uh, you remember how selfish the team was a year ago. Um, just kind of sticking whatever it was, it was Lamont West, um, uh, Tyreek Dixon, the, the little bit he was able to play. Um, and just some of those other highly touted transfer guys, the ball, they didn't want to, they didn't want to give up the ball. Um, but you see this team trying to move it around and, um, it just, uh, they, they, some guys get in foul trouble that turns into some turnovers pretty quickly. Um, he's the, the, the trying to move the ball a little too much sometimes can, uh, can turn into turnovers, but there, and there are some careless ones as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, it is, a, they do have some turnover problems and, um, that just, that has to stop, uh, going into this week. Looking at this Missouri State team since Valpo joined the Valley, and this will be now the third time in four years that Valpo and Missouri State have played in the conference tournament. This is, you know, when, when Valpo first came in the league, this was the team everyone was looking at, right? They had Alizé Johnson on the team. Yep. yep. Went out of the NBA, and um, and they were picked, I think, to, fin- to win the league, and they didn't, and then the coach got let go, Paul Lusk, and then they weren't thought that they were going to be very good, I think, the next year, and then Tulio Da Silva – came out of nowhere and was dominant. And, um, and, and then I, you know, I don't remember exactly how that, that shook out in the conference tournament, but then, you know, last year, again, I thought maybe another year where they had a lot of hype around them and the individual talent that you, of guys you mentioned West and, and what we didn't even talk about, uh, Keandre cook, um, you know, it just so much individual talent. It never really gelled. And then I remember they went into Arch Madness and, and beat the pants off of Indiana State. Yeah. And, and then I thought, well, this is a team that's going to cruise to the NCAA tournament because Northern Iowa's been knocked out. They're, they're going to beat Valpo. And then, uh, you know, they, they ended up kind of living and dying by a former – was it a former walk-on? Oh, yeah. Ross Owens. Uh, Ross Owens was the walk on. He was a lot of fun last year. Uh, just kind of a guy that's shared the ball a little bit more than others. But they, they, they were living and dying by the walk on. Well, Valpo with the same thing with John Kaiser. And, and so um, so coming into this year, you got rid of some of the I mean, really talented players. No question about, you know, Cook and, and you're talking about the um, West and, and some other guys. It, what, what were the expectations that you had coming into the year? Did, did you think, obviously Prim is, you know, second to maybe only Crutwig in this conference in terms of dominant big men, but did you expect that Mosley and Black and Sharp would, would kind of find a gelling together and, and put together the year they've had? I didn't think it'd be this high of a ceiling. Um, I mean, when you look at, uh, when you look at the teams that were also supposed to be good, I mean, we all thought Bradley was going to be really good just because they had the back-to-back championships, Elijah Childs, um, just the team that had some experience was going to lose some guard play, but you figured that they were going to, um, they were still going to be near the top Northern Iowa. Um, I think we kind of forget about how much, how good they were supposed to be, but the, the injury, the green just kind of really set the tone for the year. Um, and we all figured Loyola was going to be pretty good. Um, but I, I, they were picked to finish sixth. And I think that's where I would have, I think that's where I would have had them. Um, just kind of that team that was maybe trying to avoid a, 
sad uh, Thursday night play-in game. Um, you look at the other, there was some talented teams in the league, um, and and Missouri State had a lot of new. Uh, so you lose a lot of those guys, um, and you add in a you lose a lot of the guys who were selfish, uh, who didn't share the ball as much. Um, and you replace him with some new ones. So we knew Gage would be really good. Um, and we knew he could take another jump if he was healthy. Um, and he was never healthy last year. And he's still probably, he's still the best per minute player in the league. Um, and then you look at Isaiah Mosley and Jamonte Black, two freshmen who had a lot of play together. Um, and as Fred, who played lots as freshmen who were going to have their sophomore years, we knew there was a possibility they could make a jump. Um, and then you, you then you kind of look at around to the rest of the roster. You, Demarcus Sharp was a player who's a first team all JUCO guy, uh, and you knew he had a really high ceiling. He started the year out hurt, um, and I don't think we've seen his best yet. Um, and, I, and it might have to wait until next year when we see that. I think Keaton Hervey's been a. Uh, I thought he was a super athletic guy coming in. Has turned out to be a pretty good uh, defender. Um, and, and then you, you just kind of wait to see, is Jared Ritter going to make a jump because he was a Xavier commit, um, came back home to Springfield where he went to high school. Um, and, and he's been, he's showed some flashes throughout the years. So we knew there was part, there was some kind of, uh, that they, that they did have a, a chance to be all right. Um, but, uh, I, did I think they would be third in the league? No. Um, but I didn't think the rest of the Valley would be, uh, I didn't think three, I didn't think four through 10 uh, would be kind of as uh, mediocre as it's kind of been this year, uh, just considering the standings. And I didn't think there'd be that big of a gap between the bears and uh, the rest of everybody else. Cause you still you see them still sweeping a four seed like Indiana state um, and sweeping everybody else, except for, uh, Evansville yesterday and uh, Northern Iowa um, when they first started the season just kind of had a kind of relaxed on that second day after beating them the first day um, but I, and I still think there's a gap between Missouri State and a healthy Drake and Loyola uh, just because of how bad they came in to, uh, how bad they beat Missouri State in a four-game stretch in the uh, late January, early February. So I, I think it's, they, they have surprised me a little bit this year. It's been a better year than I expected, but uh, I, I think they should actually be at this kind of point uh, in the third year under a head coach. Well, looking back at last year's uh, Missouri Valley Conference tournament game between Valpo and Missouri State, Valpo returns two starters, Donovan Clay and Malik McMillan from that game. Um, Missouri State returns two starters, Javonta Black and Gage Prim. Uh, Valpo had three players off the bench that played in that game, Saki, Gordon, and Cricky, who are all here, Cricky and Gordon starters for Valpo now. And Missouri State played Isaiah Mosley off the bench. But other than that, there were only three guys that Missouri State has on their or, or, you know, play now. Three of the seven rotation players played in that game. And for Valpo, you know, they, they, they only have a, a handful as well. So, um, It'll be a, a new cast of characters, more or less. You have any, uh, any any thoughts on how deep you think Missouri State can go? Obviously, they're going to be favored against Valpo. There's no question about that. And I would tell you that uh, I would think that 
while the game might be a bit closer than what we saw in January, I would say Missouri State's got the edge. What do you think Missouri State against Drake slash Northern Iowa, Illinois State on, on Saturday? Can Missouri State pull the upset against Drake? Yeah, I mean, my expectations going into Friday, I think Valpo just kind of seeing the way they were able to compete with some of these teams um, was uh, just being able to um, being able to be in some of the games uh, was the first team to threat the uh, first team to beat Drake, I believe, right? And when Drake, so, Drake was fully healthy when Valpo beat them too. Yeah, so I mean, the, the so I think a lot of people are going to be a little nervous about Missouri State playing against uh, uh, playing against Valpo because Valpo has shown that they're capable of beating anybody, uh, beating a nationally ranked Drake. Uh, uh, was competitive with Loyola, um, so I think there's I think there's some nerves there that Valpo is starting to play some good. Valpo could play really good ball, and now you see a loss to like Southern Illinois. And, well, they um, missed 17 straight shots on Friday night against Indiana State. So and and there's that. So I mean, I mean, they, I'm sure, I'm sure they. they it's just kind of what team shows up uh, going to make some get some nerves into some. Missouri State fans, and I'm sure they feel like, oh, of course, they'll probably play well against Missouri State because that's just what happens. But uh, I think I think I think people were really excited when they saw Drake lose yesterday to the point where Drake was on that side of the bracket instead of Loyola uh, because of some of the tiebreaker stuff. So I think I, I, I think that bodes well for Missouri State. Uh, they showed that they were capable of beating Drake when Drake was fully healthy. Um, they had, I mean, they had a 17-point lead at, the, at one point in the first half. Uh, they had a big lead going into the break. Um, and, and they were going to be, it looked, it was the best ball they played all year it was that first half against Drake in the first game they played at JQH. Um, and, and they just fell apart there in the second half. Uh, so the Bears are definitely capable of beating a team like Drake. And then you look at the other teams, and I think Missouri State can beat anybody else on that side of the bracket. Uh, so I think they have the potential to make it to Sunday. And then I think Loyola is just way too good. Um, it's kind of the way I've operated this year. Just uh, their experience, uh, Cameron Crutwig completely shut down Gage Prim. The two games they played, I've seen some people consider, hey, maybe Gage Prim should be the player of the year uh, after looking at a couple of the historic numbers he's put up. I mean, he had a 29 and 21 game uh, recently. He had a, he went for 30 plus uh, the first game against Evansville. But it, it, you got to look back at when they played Loyola and Loyola hold up, held them to six points and 11 rebounds in two games. Um, so I, I think that's uh, I think Loyola just defends way too way too good to uh, for Missouri State to just they 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 have they're they're able to defend Missouri State better than anybody else in the conference, um, and I, I, I think that's uh, I think that Sunday is just uh, it would be too hard if it were to be uh, Loyola there. Well, we're looking forward to a fun weekend in, in St. Louis. Wyatt, thank you for joining. And, uh, and obviously, uh, we'll, we'll get together later in the week, your platforms to talk more about Valpo and Missouri State. But thanks for joining and, uh, and looking forward to a fun one. On Friday night, we get the late, late, late game. And uh, no deadline concerns for us because there will be no deadlines.
And no, I got a 4 p.m. deadline every day, so uh, I never have to worry about that with games. But uh, excited to get down, get up there to St. Louis and uh, see some of you guys because I miss seeing you guys. All right, miss seeing you too, Wyatt. I'll see you in a couple of days. Take care. Thank you. Love hearing from Wyatt Wheeler there. I'm just so appreciative of the beat reporters in the Valley. We've got a good camaraderie amongst ourselves. And, you know, I sent a message to Wyatt, uh, I think, uh, late Saturday and said, hey, let's let's do a podcast interview we can both use. And he said, let's do a home and home. I'll do your podcast. You hop on my radio show later on in the week. And so it's just, it's great. So I look forward to joining Wyatt later on in the week to talk from the Valpo side of things about this. And honestly, again, kind of what we talked about, I really don't know. You know, it's been so long since these two teams have played each other. You know, like Illinois State and Northern Iowa are going to play each other, and they just played two games against one another. And and they're going to see relatively the same version of their opponent that they just had. Whereas when Valpo played Missouri State, Zion Morgan wasn't playing. Good News was hardly playing. Um, Connor Barrett was. Connor Barrett, actually, as good as Connor Barrett's been, had the worst plus minus, I think, in, in combined or both games or something like that against Missouri State. Um, Agnosovic actually got some minutes in that one, but I, what I also remember vividly was watching Gage Prim just slice through Agnosovic in, uh, un, under the basket. And, and obviously now this is uh, two months later that they're going to play, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Okay, later on in the week, we'll have Zion Morgan to talk about his journey at uh, how he got to Valpo. And and I got to tell you, Zion is worth every penny in talking to him. He is uh, he is entertaining. He's got he's got a like give me give me Shannon Sharp comparisons in terms of just Zion and the way that he kind of approaches questions and, and debate and talk. It's it's fantastic. All right, Scott O'Kander is going to join the podcast now, and and again, I this is this is probably my uh, this is the 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 white flag or the uh, the final lap of the the mascot conversation for the for the reasons I I put out earlier. I'm I'm just done with it. You know, it was it, it the decision's over. It ain't going to change, and um, you know, quite frankly, I've we've got Arch Madness to worry about, but. I, you know, Scott was nice enough to spend some time with me. We got about a half hour interview here. I think you're going to appreciate what Scott had to say. And, and quite frankly, let's just jump right into it. I'm wondering if you could take us back in time. It's 2011. And, uh, and, and what are you looking to accomplish when you are, uh, wh- what were you looking to accomplish when you were brought into Valpo and what did you ultimately accomplish? Yeah. Um, no, thank you for, for that. And, and just to be just to be fair to, I mean, I'm going to be really careful to share things that I know are publicly available versus, you know, sort of the inner workings as much as possible. Just, um, you know, but with that in mind, I would say this. So when we when I came in, I was sort of tasked with looking at the overall university reputation strategy and brand. And it was one of the, I would say, uh, biggest uh, needs and and also one of the biggest projects that I, I did even in my tenure there. Um, and I was looking to uh, really wrap my, my mind around uh, sort of three elements in, in thinking about uh, building out a brand architecture um, at the time, which I think has lasted a, a pretty pretty good long time since since that time, almost 10 years. Uh, before the change uh, was announced recently, and that is um, that is really thinking about 
the university's uh, sort of brand and reputation around three areas. And the first is uh, like what authentically does the university stand for, you know, and how does that get translated into a brand? Uh, and then, and then two, what does the market, what did the market believe uh, that the university stood for and what gaps sort of were in, in the ether there between what sort of we as, as the university thought um, we were about and what the market saw. And then the third part was sort of in the, in the landscape of higher, ed, higher education and beyond, like what, what competitive pressures existed to the university that would either inhibit us from owning a position or um, or taking a position that we believed in or, or make it more challenging or make it uh, or, or guide the pathway to how that might be accomplished if we couldn't couldn't live without it and so i'm really proud of the fact that we we did all of those things in back in 2011 uh, we uh, really engaged deeply with the community, um, talked over, if I can remember right, the numbers approached over 2,500 members of the community, faculty, staff, students, alumni, board members, you name it. We, we had as many people as, as could possibly weigh in that we felt deserved to weigh in on that process. And it really, really was an open invitation, so it could have even been more, but um, we had them really weigh in and say who they thought Valparaiso University was and what the brand should stand for and how it how it trans how it should translate. Uh, we did market research with a firm out of Chicago, as well as our own studies in market research um, designed around things like the Crusader as well and the, the Crusader name as well as all sorts of other aspects of the, the brand. And we looked deeply into the competitive forces um, at the time and in order to get to the decision we did. So a long answer, but I would say in general, um, I was brought there to build, build that and to build the expertise for that. And I think we did a really fine job of it, um, you know, with a, with, a, with a good set of research and a good team. And one of the things that I remember coming out of this was this idea of stop calling the university VU. There were a lot of VUs. Yes. And, and the idea of when you talk about competitive, competitive areas like Vincennes University is VU. Right. Vanderbilt sometimes is VU, which makes no sense to me because it's Vandy. And right. Valparaiso was VU, which makes no sense to me because it's Valpo. That was one of the key things that you kind of looked at, right? Yeah. I mean, it was it was very clear too in the research on the external side. That's a that's a critical example where the market side was very clear. Like nobody understood VU from the outside in. Inside of Valparaiso, people knew VU was Valparaiso to them. So that was easy, but Valpo was found to be both a high affinity and a highly recognizable idea um, that both the market and the alumni resonated with deeply. Um, and it made really a lot of sense to sort of distance yourself from uh, something that really couldn't be owned. I mean, you can't own VU when it's owned by half a dozen other schools. Um, you don't wanna go up against Vanderbilt and have VU versus VU, um, even though you know Vanderbilt figured that out a long time ago and went to Vandy, you know, and, and Valpo did too. They just didn't wanna own it. And so um, I, I actually wouldn't say that that's probably un, unfair. I think a lot of people did wanna own it. And so it was easy to lean into, um, but that's, that's why we went there. Um, I think in a lot of interviews, I, I remember 
when LeBron James announced that he was moving to the Miami Heat, Jim Gray, the reporter, sat with LeBron for about 15, 20 minutes and never asked him the most important question. So I'm going to ask you early on the most important question. What did your market research in everything you did tell you about the Crusader nickname? Was it ever a consideration to change the Crusader nickname? Why did you not? And maybe if you can go deeper on some things you did to the Crusader in lieu of changing the name and some things that you didn't do to the Crusader in lieu of changing the name. Long yeah, question, but that's why we're here. Yeah, no, that's a, I mean, that's a great question. So the answer, short answer is, yeah, we looked at it. It was on the table. Um, it was absolutely on the table. And uh, I would say from the leadership on down, um, it was it was an open conversation like hey is this an entity that should stay or go based on all of the all of the potential negative and all of the potential positive and um again you take a look at those forces the the competitive pack the the perception the the internal view and you bring together the data around those things and make a rational decision and, and honestly uh at that time and, and certainly i can't fault the decision that's been made now um, because times have changed. You look at those forces again, the data could be totally different. I don't know the data that I'm not there now. I don't know the data that's been that's that's been used to drive that decision. But clearly the decision was made based on data, you know. And uh at the time back in 2011, we studied it. And there there was a, a small minority of the population that was concerned about the name Crusader based on the history of the the connotation based on the you know the crusades based on uh, a lot of different factors but the vast majority of the market felt the name was strong and associated with the university in a good way um what i can say is that um you know some of the internal data helped us to uh figure out how to position the crusader in a way that would maximize the Lutheran traditions and the elements of what really was positive in the name and de-emphasize uh, some of the things that were, uh, would basically call up some of those connotations. So for example, the, the crusader did, never had a, a sword um, or a, a saber of any type. That was actually very uh very uh, much an obvious and an intentional um act to focus it on the thing that mattered which was the shield because ultimately some of the values um the lutheran values and the and the the values of the institution were really embodied in that shield um and uh so the focus went to the shield um and in the design and in the in the structure you see the shield you know, on the floor of the basketball court, you can see the shield more than you can see the actual person behind it mm -hmm. uh, for many, many respects. Um, and in, intentionally so because anyone could carry a shield of character and should if you're part of that Valparaiso community. Um, and I'm super proud of the way that shield get, was ultimately positioned. And I'm, I hear from, you know, others that it's still in use today in a very big way. And I think that's fantastic because ultimately that is the, the true you know, sort of um, embodiment of the what a crusader meant to Valparaiso. Now, could that could that come in the form of another identity? Yeah, it could have. But at the time, the, the data didn't suggest that we should should move there. The majority of the the data did reflect positive intent there. 
um, you know, has a decade changed and societal change uh, made that made that uh, an impossibility? Maybe so. And so that's why you see the decision. Obviously, uh, you, you pulled back on the cartoonish looking character, the one that had the fists up that looked like it was ready to fight. Yeah. And shifted to one that looked like it was ready to defend. So there is a bit of, uh, of just visceral reaction to that, right? Yeah, and I remember at the time, some people were really upset about um, the fighting crusader kind of, uh, as I remember it, you know, not not being a native Hoosier, so I could say that, um, you know, like, I looked at it initially and went, well, isn't that just like the Notre Dame uh, sort of fighting Irish person, you know, like it was very similar in structure, right? And again, you get to competitive forces and you go, well, if we're head to head, you know, do you try to try to create something that doesn't really have the same connotation or bring up that connotation? But that said, I mean, I felt like the the defensive posture was really reflective of what it was intended for, which was to defend the character and the values and the convictions of uh, the university. And in fact, I I uh, I still have one of my uh, little shield of character um, cards that we made. Um, that all students get and, and things like that. And just looking at the values, truth seeking, you know, free to inquire, humility, compassion, service mindedness, um, purpose driven, empowered and ethical were the, the embodiments of the shield. And I just felt like, you know, you could put anything behind that shield, a crusader of, of these values makes uh, for a really positive being something that is, I think, very largely reflective of the university even today. The Valparaiso's freshmen get the Valpo shield pin with on for their opening convocation. And, and there's a whole thing about putting the pin on and, and kind of living up to those core values. Um, okay, the change has been made. Um, I You've dealt with some unpopular changes, I'm sure, in your career. You've done a lot of changes and everything like that. I want to, um, you know, let, let's let's stay Valpo centric for a second. One of the things that happened when you were at Valpo that I know rubbed some people the wrong way. I thought it was fascinating and interesting, and I didn't really have an opinion. Was the addition of the accent color, and mm-hmm. people people got uncomfortable. Why are you putting green in here? And then I think yeah. the the idea was that there was going to be uh, a different rollout of accent colors down the line. But yeah. when you make a change. And people get pissed. What like like Valpo's made a change now, and people are pissed. Some people are happy with it, but but um, how do you handle blowback when a change gets made that you're comfortable with? You put a lot of time, effort, and energy into making that change, and it infuriates a bunch of people. Yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, brands are brands are really difficult. I mean, it's it's not an easy any change. I mean, just the classic examples, you think of Coca-Cola making new Coke in the years. I mean, it's sort of like the, the old historical, like catastrophic failure of all time. Um, it was awful. It was an awful drink. You know, I mean, the, the double blind studies said it was the better, better product, but, and all the research said, yes, but when you make the change, you realize you take the heart out of the brand. I mean, Coca-Cola represents uh, the feeling of family and the the warmness of a fire around the Christmas tree and the sound of it and everything brings back those memories. And that's why you have polar bears and, you know, 
a Santa Claus. I mean, Coca-Cola owns Santa Claus. I mean, yeah. um, you know, sorry kids, but I mean, Coke Red is on Santa for a reason um, because they own, they want to own that feeling, right? Um, so when you think about any brand and Valparaiso's brand too, I mean, you think about the Fighting Crusader. Well, I think people, if they saw it now and really thought through, okay, is the Fighting Crusader better than a shield protecting defender? I think people would rationally go, yeah, you know, like the data says this is the right decision. And um, and when you put it up side by side, you start to realize, hey, now without any emotion tied to the old thing, I actually see that this is the right thing. And you look at it now, 10 years later, nobody's talking about the Fighting Crusader except you. Um, but, you know, people were talking about, you know, losing the thing that they didn't want to have, you know, at the beginning, because it means so much to them now. One and of so my favorite, about, one, oh, one of my favorite stories is, uh, is so people are talking about like the Valpo gold, like maybe gold could be the nickname. And one of my favorite stories is how when Marquette went from Marquette Warriors, and everyone wanted them to stay the Warriors, and they said no, it's offensive, we're moving to the Golden Eagles, everyone got pissed, so they were Golden Eagles for 10 years, and then Two alumni came forward and said, we'll give you a million dollars if you change back to the Warriors. So they opened it up to a new change. They changed to the Marquette Gold. They did that. It didn't even last a week, Scott. And everyone got pissed. And then they said, okay, we're going to look at it again. And they held a vote and everyone voted for the Golden Eagles. So if you just yeah. give someone a terrible option, then yeah. maybe they, they embrace the option that, that they didn't like in the first place. Well, and to that end, you know, the, that's, that's to me like the reflection of what I said earlier about the data has to be in those three lanes, right? So the market perception of warriors is not good, um, but the internal perception was really strong because people knew what it meant to them. Um, the competitive forces were, were strong, um, you know, so you had two out of the three things not in balance. You know, when it comes down to sort of uh, you know, like decisions like that, data and consensus are so, so critical to uh, something this dear. You know, people make decisions to go to Valpo for four years of their lives, moving at a time when they've never left home. Most have never left home or even the town they grew up in. Um, you know, not that many uh, in the population have moved from one place to another, you know, so when you think about the level of emotion that is tied to that move, um, a brand tied to that can be very meaningful and very close and near and dear to someone's heart. When you think about brands though, brands cannot and should not, in my opinion, be static. And so the accent color, back to your original question, yeah. um, the accent color was designed to give life and in fact, the lifelines, which were part of that green, that was part, it was called the lifeline for a reason. It was there for just a life beyond tradition to showcase the idea that progress is something that is married to tradition, that it's not, static is not, and tradition don't have to be in common. And so it was never intended that the the sort of neon green would be there forever. We thought, okay, over time, you change change the accent color, it'd be something else, and there'd be new palettes. And we even created those palettes. Uh, not, I'm less familiar with how those have been used over time, but the intent there was really to introduce an element of continuous adaption, uh, adaptation, sorry, not a, a adaption, but adaptation, um, uh, the idea that 
um, something old and proud and wonderful can still be progressive, can still um, move um, from one, one, one era to another and have life in that. It doesn't have to be uh, stuck in the bricks of the chapel or whatever. It can be any, any number of wonderful things that are associated with those wonderful buildings and associated with the wonderful people that are there. And so, you know, just as they move forward, you know, you think, well, 10 years later, they abandoned the crusader, but maybe that's just part of the natural transition of the institution from one that was stuck in tradition to one that is also embracing progressive values. As long as it's in consensus and it factors the market and the competitive pressures to enable the university to thrive long-term, I, I think it's wonderful. And I hope they do that. Well, now I wanna ask this question. Um, knowing and we'll we'll, we'll re, repeat some caveats i'm just i'm talking to scott here i'm not talking to anyone who's got any connection with the university and uh you know i i, I don't know how much you keep up with your old employer um have you paid attention to and, and also the caveat of as you said you don't have the data from right now you have the data from 2011. so did you watch this unfold did, did, I mean, I know that I called you, uh, I don't know, a week and a half ago or whatever, um, but before that, I mean, were you paying attention to this and kind of what has been your, um, I don't know, just how, how has this hit all of you? Is it tough to see something move on from that you were involved in at some point? Oh, sure. I mean, uh, yeah, sure, I follow the university. I mean, I, you cannot uh, give as much as, as you know, someone would give in this type of a process. I mean, and not feel um, deeply connected to the place. You know, like I, um, in many ways, was was only the the I don't know what you call me the the medical assistant to the process. You know, I uh, am not Lutheran, um, but I learned and focused deeply on what it meant to be Lutheran, uh, independent Lutheran, uh, to really identify the key values that um, were differentiated in the construct of that in Valparaiso and that in Crusader and all the elements. And when you spend, you know, it's a labor of love. And so it is much, very much like I would describe, you know, for my sons, it's birthing a child. You know, I'm not the birther, but I am there for all the development and to watch the thing flourish and grow. So it is, and, and even to this day, I still find myself addicted to streaming videos of soccer games or, or, or basketball games or other kinds of things in the university culture. And I still get the magazine and, uh, you know, still do my, do my part at times for, for the institution. So I'm still very committed to the institution and I really believe in the people and the values of the institution. Um, you know, so I am following it. And, you know, my hope is that as I, you know, sort of just as one voice uh, in the equation, I, my hope is that they continue to do what we did back then, which is to get the consensus of the community together to really wrestle with what to do next. Um, and that they do look at the market forces and they do look at the market perception of things and make a really good decision. Don't do the, the sort of market gold uh, gold thing. That's that's a lack of really good data that drives that decision and it led to some of that. I'm very familiar with that case too. You know, and as as a person now with in a partner um, in one of the leading higher education consultancies for brand, 
in the industry. I work with 600 universities across the country. And so I work with some of the very largest on their brand. Um, I am, I mean, I am just happy to see um, a brand um, take a necessary evolution um, and just desire for it to be done with authenticity and consensus, which is such a critical part of, of any, uh, any careful project. And so, so seeing that. The, uh, the interim president who is um, leaving office in five, six, four days, Okay. Uh, the one who announced this and the, the new president gets to come in and be the the saving grace and, and do the new thing it um it feels like back parlor politics a little bit it feels like good cop bad cop a little bit um is it also smart business to have oh yeah i mean just your, your, would, your take I mean, on think of the burden think of the burden on the new president um if if this was really destined and had to be done uh, for whatever reason, and I don't know all the reasons. I'm not at the institution now. I don't have to wrestle with the things that have. I, I know what's been said in the media. If this is, it has to be done now, yeah, that's. It's not just backroom parlor. I think it's actually a wonderful approach. Is let the new president and the community wrestle with the new um, versus having to deal with the history and the old. I mean. It's 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 a smart move, I think, in my mind. Not just politically a, a smart move. I think it's a really good move for um, to to pave the way for a new future for the university under a new leadership, which is is where it's headed. The interim president is catching a lot of flack for this right now. I'd oh, have I'm to believe I'd have to believe there's no way this decision gets made without the incoming president signing off on it beforehand as well, correct? I couldn't speak to that. You know, I couldn't because I don't know the relationship or the people or anything like that. Um, you know, if I were the new president, I would want to help make that decision. But that doesn't mean it was that way. I cannot speak to that. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. That's fair. No. Um, do you have a uh, let's let's go back 10 years. Crusader is on the table. Um, what if the data tells you it's time to move on? Did you have a name in mind? Did you have, uh, do you have a name in mind now that you'd like to see? Was there anything? Oh, you know, I, you know, I would want to do market testing on them all. Right. Yeah. So then, then the researcher in me says, okay, now I want to, I want to brainstorm and really think of the constructs. I saw your article today, you know, in the, in the oh, I had a lot of fun with that. That was just, that was, that was, that was great. You know, just like, Hey, what is it? You know, koalas, kernels, you name it, you know, it could be anything. Um, you know, I am uh, I am a pra pragmatist when it comes to brands too. Like, I really don't try to get too wed to a construct. I let the market help me figure out. You know, the ultimate thing with a brand, ultimately, is that the internal community needs to believe in it, and the external community community needs to recognize it. And you know, ultimately, at the when we talk about brand, we're talking about familiarity and reputation. And those are business constructs, but they have deep consequences um, in market. So for example, if you have an unrecognizable identity um, to the market, uh, you may suffer in admissions because the market doesn't attach to you. And honestly, the, the old adage of, if I don't know you, I can't like you, is 100% true when it comes to brand. 
And uh, your market position will dictate your possible outcomes. And so the brand has to help you advance that. At the same time, internally, if it's not something that can pull the emotional connection that people have with the place, then you risk the culture becoming less unified. You risk the the uh, the long-term affinity and engagement of a population with a place to be transactional um, and less meaningful. And so these things are not easy to reconcile. And I don't I don't uh, fault the decision, nor do I fault, nor do I value or not value, but nor do, nor do I um, you know wish some of the consequences on those who would have to decide such things. Um, just because um, it is a really difficult thing to have to remove um, that which some would say is their attachment to a place. Um, and that is that is not easy. Well, Scott, thank you very much for joining. Um, I, again, I, I thought you had such a unique uh, experience level with this whole conversation. Granted, 10 years in the past, but obviously still very plugged in and everything like that. Um, where are you living in the world now? And, uh, and, and do you still follow Valpo basketball or football or anything? You did say that you watch some games on the stream, but where oh, are you? Yeah. I still watch the stream and I am, um, I am uh, in Bend, Oregon, out in the mountains um, and uh, happiest clam with uh, two now. I have my own son in, uh, oh, there we go, my, and a couple dogs. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I have my own uh, son in college now as a sophomore at the University of Oregon and a younger, uh, uh, younger junior in high school who will be going through the college search process this next year. Um, so, and uh, married 25 years coming this fall. Um, so it's um, uh, all good on my end um, and really enjoying life, um, life here in the Pacific Northwest these days. Well, how about the University of Oregon? You talk about brands that change their football uniforms every single game, but when you're Nike University, I guess you get to do that. So you know what's funny about them though is is it not on brand? No, oh, it's completely on brand. They're known for innovation and pushing the envelope, right? So changing the uniforms, yeah, they have that. We we call them Uncle Phil out here, um, but Uncle Phil would give a lot of money to the institution to make some of those things happen. I mean, yeah, of course, the university is a, a research and development lab for Nike Apparel, of course. So that that helps both both the university and, and the company here based in Oregon as well. So, um, you know, one of my favorite things. You, the things you do are on brand. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it's good. One of my favorite things, I got a tour of, the, of Oregon's athletic facilities and I was taken through the women's soccer uh, team room and there was a giant mural with the Oregon duck and the eyeball of the Oregon duck was Phil Ooh. Knight and his wife. And it was the message to the student athletes that uh, Phil's always watching over you and Nike is always watching over you. It was very interesting. Scott, thank you again very much for joining us on Union Street Hoops. And I think the, uh, the listeners um, are, are going to get a lot out of this. So thank you very much. It was my pleasure and I give my best to the entire Valpo Nation. I hope everyone's doing well and uh, I have so many good relationships from back in those days. And uh, it's great to connect with you again. Thank you. Thank you.